I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Saturday School. This is the fifth episode of our eighth season where we're looking at Asian American sci-fi. Sci-fi and more. Sci-fi and more. We're expanding the definition of sci-fi. <laughs> Some people might say we're butchering the definition of sci-fi. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we're taking it to its essence rather than its kind of superficial iconography or something, right? Like for people that when they think of sci-fi, think of like uh, spaceships. For me, it's like the uncanniness of technology and imagining the future and stuff like that. And then once you think of it that way, a lot can fit in, in it. That gives you certain this, the same kind of sensation of the speculative. So I'm excited about this episode. Yeah. So I was thinking about like what counts as sci-fi because there aren't that many Asian American films that fit into the obvious like sci-fi mold. And so I was thinking about kinds of sci-fi or other examples of sci-fi that could be inspiration for what we're looking for. So I was thinking about like the Frankenstein movie. Um, movies where people use technologies to transform their bodies for whatever reason. And it can create certain kinds of weird, uncanny, like, are you human? Are you not human effects? Or it could just be like playing into grotesque horrors of bodies transformed by technology. And so I was thinking about like Frankenstein, stuff like The Fly. And then I think about like plastic surgery gone wrong movies like Eyes Without a Face. And all of which, yeah, a little bit sci-fi, a little bit horror. And also Face Off. And Face Off, yeah, yeah one, one of my favorites. And I think these movies, like people say, like, yeah, I can see why that would be sci-fi. And in any case, yeah, it's about how the use of technology, sometimes it's about like the ego of the scientist or the person who wants to use the technology in a certain way. Sometimes it's just about like, you know, technology is all around us and how are we transforming as a result of the technologies around us. And so I was really interested in plastic surgery. Um, and are there Asian American films that deal with plastic surgery? And this led me to thinking about the kinds of plastic surgery that are often associated with Asian Americans. And the topic of eyelid surgery came up. For those who don't know, this is the surgery that creates some kind of crease in your eyelid that creates the like double eyelid um, that is usually associated with white people. Also, like making your eyes look bigger. And as many people know, like the idea of like us having a small eye is a stereotype that a lot of Asian Americans have to deal with on American playgrounds. And so like this idea of transforming one's body through plastic surgery opens the door for s such interesting drama, maybe Dra drama and like rethinking who we are, both in terms of like identity, but also like what our bodies are now. And I feel like that opens up for the speculative of sci-fi. So the film we're talking about is called Two Lies. It's a short film from 1990 by Pamela Tom. The film was Pam Tom's thesis film at UCLA. So it's about 25 minutes long. It played Sundance. It played a ton of film festivals. It was kind of a big deal when it came out. And we don't often do short films on Saturday School, but we really should, especially if we think about like films from 1990 are likely not going to be feature-length films. This was before there were a lot of Asian-American feature films in general. Yeah, absolutely. Right, like at this point, like 1990, I mean, there were, yeah, there was like Wayne Wang, I guess, and Stephen Okazaki, and few and far between. But this was a festival film. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, like I was 
it was nice to see in the credits like some familiar names like Abraham Ferrer and folks from Visual Communications. 1990. So this is coming out of like the 1980s when VC in Los Angeles was like defining themselves as a media arts center here to serve the community. But also that had a very tight connection with UCLA dating all the way back to ethnocommunications in the 1970s. See last season for more information about that. And Pamela Tom comes out of that tradition. And part of that tradition is like making short films, independent films that kind of interrogate these questions of what are our lives like in a way that Hollywood would never even know how to touch. And honestly, today, I would never trust Hollywood to do a Asian American eyelid surgery movie. I feel like that would just be ex like exoticism yeah. and and weird like racial paranoia and blame and I don't know, pretty ugly stuff. The film we're talking about uses the subject matter of eyelid surgery, but does it in a way that does feel very like Frankensteinian. A little bit of horror, a little bit of comedy. But it's cool to see this from 1990. First of all, it's cool just to see like a really good movie. Very well made. It's got the usual family drama and tension, like intergenerational tensions that we see from so many Asian American films from this time. But also just sort of like this perverse combination of different kinds of genre effects. It's about a mother and two young daughters. One's a teenager and one's an elementary school student. The mother must be recently divorced and she decides to get eyelid surgery. This is from the point of view of the older daughter for the most part. It's really not such a big thing. She never quite explained what it was, only that it was all part of her new grip on life. She told Esther that it was like getting braces. Esther? Esther, where are you going? As a kid, your mom comes home. She has like these bandages around her eyes. She spent hours in the bathroom putting on makeup and listening to the same tape over and over. Her look, her voice, was all part of this new grip on life. Which is like just vague enough to include whatever interpretations you want to make of her motivations. And what I love about this film is like it never explains what her motivations are. This may be something about aesthetics. It's like pushing aside overcrowding drapes to reveal more of the window. But of course there is this nagging thing, is it, is it also about race? Um, because we see similar kinds of... We see that the daughters go through similar things, like they're, they're in front of other kids and they get made fun of for their eyes. So, so that's in the air too, and it's kind of undeniable. The mom is having this fling with this white man that the daughter says is a fan of the Orient. I mean, how could you respect a guy who called my mom things like fortune cookie or... There's some horror elements <laughs> to short. Please don't come in. It also seems like she doesn't want anyone to know that she got the eyelash. She's hiding. For most of the film, she's in these big dark glasses. There's shots from the perspective of the mom, so you're like looking at the world through these like blurry bandages. I, yeah. So I, I just have to say, like, the filmmaking of this is so good, right? Like, yeah. like all these subjective shots, these point of view shots that are just full of creepy tension. Yeah, like yeah. looking through the world through bandages as she as mom is arriving at home. Meanwhile, the camera never really cuts to her face. Yeah, because I think I'm someone who's nervous when I think of any like surgery. Like I got LASIK and that freaked me out too, right? Like so I think a film like this, I'm already kind of nervous because I don't want to see the bloodiness on top of the eyes. You know, what yeah. I mean? it feels like a horror a little bit. Like you're like, oh, it's coming out, but then it does it. It's like, oh, it's kind of, it does Right, it's a little like David Lynch eraser head or something. Yeah. Just watch M. Night Shyamalan's old. His camera work too, like not showing faces and have the tension of withholding that. 
Pamela Tom is definitely very skillful at that in this short film. It's also in black and white. Yeah, and I think that's a conscious choice. I don't know if it has to do with like what was available to her at the time, but like obviously in 1990, you can shoot in color if you want. But like, it does tie into these kinds of like B-film aesthetics, right? Whether it's like an eraser head. And again, I, I mentioned uh, George Franju's film, Eyes Without a Face, which this movie reminded me of a lot. Tell me about that, because I don't know that movie. Oh God, that's like one of the most terrifying movies I've ever seen. It's like from the 1960s. It's a French movie by Georges Franju, and it's about this um, woman who gets in a car accident, I think, and her dad botches her plastic surgery. Yeah, so the whole movie, she's wearing this, like, scary mask. All you see are her eyes behind the mask, and it's so creepy. But Two Lies, like, I don't think anybody would call this a horror movie. Unless you're an East Asian American woman scared of surgery. Uh, (laughs) And white men that are creepy. (laughs) There are predators in this. It's only not called horror because white men have defined (laughs) (laughs) the politics of genre naming. I think it's also like, yeah, the horror of the everyday and the way in which the mom is trying to turn the surgery into just a regular thing, right? It's like the kids are trying to explain to their teacher why their mom can't show up today. And the kids are like, oh, my mom is sick today. And so so the way in which like this kind of the, the transformation of the body and also the scars of that transformation and also potentially like the guilt or shame of it is just kind of turned into like, oh, you know, don't, don't think about it. It's just this everyday thing. The whole title of the movie, Two Lies, it's this idea of like two eyes, two lies. So that's the big part of that feels a little bit like Frankenstein or horror where it's like, what is my mom turning into? Yeah. And I think it's like how much of it is the surgery, but how much of it is something bigger because right. it's like new grip on life. They also talk about how it's not just look, she's like talking differently. She's like trying to turn into another person, right? So as a kid, you know, like especially if you're life has been kind of uprooted in some way and then your mom she wants to look like another person so what's going to happen i think that's part of frankenstein right like there's a reason for this experiment but then it goes awry yeah but the short does have enough to show you what's going on with these kids you said like it's yes from the older daughter's perspective and because she's going through her own coming of age too her own sexuality she sees this guy at the pool it's like this white guy and she's sort of like giving him a look and then she she thinks he's giving her a look while her younger sister's at the pool like getting like chinky eyed at by these kids yeah so as the older daughter's trying to figure out oh wait so what what does my own asian femininity like what am i learning from my mom here and to what extent do i have control over any of this or is this just the way that we're seeing oh that sounds like horror too (laughs) so the sense that the environment itself is transforming around you and, and the movie is about home, right? Like, because uh, remember, like, the, the younger daughter, she's doing this report on homes. The youngest daughter is making this Pueblo, like, this Native American Pueblo for school. So the very first scene, you see this incision. Oh, my God. It's like a scalpel right into the shot. Yeah, but it's really, like, her cutting cardboard for this project for school. And then they take a trip to what's supposed to be, like, an authentic Pueblo. <laughs> But then that scene is like pure comedy. (laughs) But like horrifying comedy. They have this white guy as the tour guide taking them through the um, Pueblo, this authentic Pueblo. But he like does it in such a like straightforward museum guide voice. But the first time I watched it, like it took me a while to realize that everything he's saying is so ridiculous. (laughs) I say things like, this Pueblo is like made by this guy from Boston. (laughs) And... 
Cabot loved the Indian people. One of the Indians he knew was Chief Simu, who carved this statue called A'a Ota, the two-faced white man. Chief Simu felt the snakes were the low creatures on the earth because they crawled on their belly. To him, the white man was right next to him, smiling out of one face and then cheating out of the other. Did you see the, like, little figurines of, like, blackface? So, yeah, between blackface, this, like, mockery of Native American history, and also the China doll. So this sort of, like, grotesquery of, of race, which is, like, being paraded by these white people, is just totally being consumed as authenticity. So through all of this, the only person who seems to notice how <laughs> ridiculous this parade of supposed, like, cultural authenticity is, is the older daughter. I shouldn't advertise it as an authentic Indian Pueblo. Who the hell cares who built it? It looks like one, doesn't it? But it's not one. The older daughter storms out. And so you get the sense that she's like internalizing a lot of this playfully racist museum. Like she's understanding it through her own lens, the way she's starting to see the world as a racialized person. And she's like, I've had enough. That's horror too, when you're like, this is insane and I'm the only person who's yeah and also my mom doesn't see it my mom who is constantly telling me things like you need to be a proper chinese person sort of like do you know what proper anything means like you're buying all of this like fake stuff fake cultural stuff so it's a film that's like very aware of the ways in which like we define things as culturally authentic and how that affects us when we think in those terms anyways i what i love about the movie and how we're talking about it through this like affect of the strange and the uncanny is that it allows us to go beyond i think how the mainstream has always talked about this phenomenon the mainstream i think is always so obsessed with like oh why do asian americans do this like why do they get the surgery um whereas the film is not that invested in that question it's really about like how does family or identity get like reconfigured as a result of the use of technology this way and how does that affect our notions of ourselves and our relationships with our family? Also, our relationships with people outside our family, non-Asian people. As opposed to, yeah, fixating on the why. Because that makes it all seem like this is just some kind of like perverse choice that people make. Or like some kind of racial self-hatred, which to me is not an interesting way of talking about this. We also watched this documentary called Never Perfect. From 2007. Which talked a little bit about the history of eyelid surgery. They sort of credit the beginning of the interest in this to this surgeon who is doing the surgery in Japan. The question people have is, is this eyelid surgery, are, are you just trying to look white or is it something else? And so this documentary is kind of exploring both sides. There's a conversation about like different kinds of beauty traditions. And of course, that's also being fueled by things like pop culture in Asia and especially places like Japan and Korea. The talk about eyelid surgery as being like, oh, you just want to look more white seems shallow to me. <laughs> Yeah, I've never quite, I, I've never bought that at all. Um, the way that like, if an Asian woman dyes her hair blonde, like, I don't know, that's just an, that's an aesthetic choice, right? Like, like sure, surely like hair color is related to race. So I'm not saying like it's completely not related to race, but to diagnose this purely as some kind of racial self-hatred is ridiculous to me. Yeah, yeah. So both of these films, the documentary Never Perfect and the film we're talking about, Two Lies, are only available via educational distribution. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> The ongoing joke of our, of our podcast, uh, that all these classic Asian American films are only available through your libraries and through your universities, if they are cool enough to have bought them. So if they're not, you should tell them that Two Lies is available through Women Make Movies. It's an educational distributor. They can buy it, and they should, because you should watch this. And uh, Never Perfect is also available through an educational distributor, Cinema Guild. If your library doesn't have it, they can order it from, from Cinema Guild. I'm such pity ass. <laughs> it's just like we've built up these movies as such essential documents of our time 
and sort of like <laughs> good luck finding them. Uh, but I, I mean, like it's also worth saying, like Pamela Tom, she's still making films. Um, some of our audiences may be familiar with a, a documentary she made a few years ago called Tyrus, a documentary about the famed um, kind of art director Tyrus Wong, who worked on such films as Bambi, as like classic Disney movies. A great documentary if if you have a chance. That that one should be easier to find, but it has nothing to do with science fiction. I just think it's cool that we kind of have an Asian American Frankenstein. People pierce their ears, dye their hair, and go on diets. I'm no different. Yeah. Besides, there's nothing wrong with wanting to look and feel better. Well, I hope you feel better because you definitely don't look better. That's enough. Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that feature stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our logo is by Grace Talis Lee. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. Check out our website at SaturdaySchoolPodcast.com or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And the podcast Twitter handle is Wake Up Sat School. Class dismissed. gets a little crazy sometimes. Sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's beautiful, and sometimes it can just piss us off. Enter First of All Podcast. It's a safe space for real conversations about the things that we all struggle with, celebrate, contemplate, and work through in our daily lives. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor, filmmaker, and entrepreneur with a colorful background, a full life, and brilliant friends who I love to unpack life with to share with all of you. They are everyday people like you and me, ranging from award-winning artists, cultural icons, powerful CEOs, my hilarious childhood friends, and even my mom. Tune in for honest conversations on mental health, dating, sex, family, career, culture, and everything in between. Listen to First of All wherever you find podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.